So when I was a junior in high school, my family moved cities, uh, just picked up and moved. So I'm 16. I'm starting at a new school. It's a very wealthy private school. My mom is the music teacher, and we are not a very wealthy family. So already I just feel like I'm in a whole different world. And no one talks to me. For three months, I'm at this school, and I'm thinking, I'm doing everything I can to make friends, and I don't know why it's not working. But I decided, okay, I'm going to frame this because I have to be successful or I cannot live with myself. So this is a game to be won. I will win this school over. I will make them love me. Uh, I had a superpower, a magical, just uh, tucked in my back pocket. I can play piano pretty well and I can sing. So I thought, I need to show them this. Um, It's also a Church of Christ school, so they just don't have instruments there. So it's an interesting challenge. So in one class, we had this project where you could just do anything creative. And I was like, I'm going to write a song for this project because I was like, I have to show them that I'm good at something. So I sing the song. It's ridiculous, but it's kind of awesome. And all of a sudden, I have like 100 friends. It was just overnight. They were like, oh, you can offer something, which was my whole game. So I was just like, heck yeah, I can. Um, So... I have all of these friends, I'm using quotation marks, friends, and I'm like, I'm also going to be on homecoming court. I just decide that in my brain. I'm like, you people will love me. And so sure enough, senior year rolls around, and I'm, I'm on homecoming court. And I'm like, check, got it. And then I knew there were going to be awards at the end of the year for, you know, just all those things that they give awards for. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to get all the awards. Not only, I'm going to come in as a junior, I'm going to make you love me, and I'm going to get all your awards. And so end of senior year comes around, I get all these awards. I get, I remember the names were like most dependable, most friendly, uh, most likely to help you through a hard time. Just the the like, she's somebody we want to be around kind of awards. Uh, best all around. And I remember leaving awards day thinking, okay, I did it. Like I won. And thinking, but how odd that no one depends on me. I don't have any real friends here. No one knows me. Nobody knows the kind of music I like. I don't hang out with anyone on the weekends, truly. It's like I don't, no one has seen Nicole for who she really is. Um, but they would all say that I'm, I'm their best friend. I mean, I probably had 20 people there that were like, Nicole's my best friend, but nobody knew me. And so when I discovered the Enneagram, I thought back to that story um, and, and had, so much compassion for myself instead of feeling embarrassed it was like shoot I really needed someone to just like know me and my strategy throughout my whole life until the last couple of years has been I will win your approval and whatever you want me to do I will do um thankfully I grew up in a pretty safe uh loving environment because that's kind of a dangerous way to approach life uh, so that was the story that came to mind for me. So what kind of things did you do to get those awards? Like, huh. did you have them in mind already? You're like, okay, the award for most dependable. And then you just like went around and did things to like, how did that work out? Oh my gosh. Um, I led Bible studies. I was the leader of the praise band at church. I was um, straight A student. I was so painfully helpful. And ultimately, just so painfully compliant. I was, uh, I was what every parent would want their Christian school daughter to be. I was on time, and I was friendly, and I was 
I mean, honestly, in that evangelical world, I was also everything a young woman should be. I was feminine, and I, I spoke softly and sweetly, and I said things that wouldn't intimidate the boys in the room, and I made the boys feel smart and strong, but I also knew that I was worth something. You know, I just, I knew exactly how to work a room, and in that world, I knew that meant be a godly young woman. And so I was a godly young woman, um, except for <laughs> I was dating horrible people behind the scenes because I'm a three. So it's like there is this rebellious streak in me. So I dated people that my parents would have hated had they known, but I could work everybody. So I was this godly girl, but the few people that knew, I mean, I was, I was living several different lives all at once, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Start. <laughs> it's good. Starting out strong. Yeah. I don't have a lot of friends that are threes. And so to hear someone else talk about it uh, is such a mirrored experience for me. It's pretty fascinating. Um, like it makes me want to find more threes to say, hey, how do you handle things like this? Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I grew up in Houston and my brothers were both um, super athletes. Um, and I'm the youngest in the family. Uh, my middle brother is seven years older than me, and my oldest brother is 10 years older than me. Uh, my oldest brother was a high school quarterback uh, that um, ended up playing like a playoff game in the Astrodome. So imagine as an eight-year-old, your brother's going to play a game in the Astrodome and how special that was. Uh, three years later, my other brother was a running back um, also played games in the Astrodome. Um, and I think I need to look up the date of this event, um, but I found a photo of this event recently. When I was 12, my brother Matt, the middle brother, um, there's like a, there's like a, a spring sports banquet. So this must have been March of 89. Um, there's a spring sports banquet and they give out awards for the seasons. Uh, and my, my oldest brother, had won this best offensive back in the district award. And it looked like a big silver, I mean, a big gold Lombardi trophy uh, with a wooden base, not a metal base. It's crazy how well I could describe this trophy to you. Uh, And it's been 30 years. So in 89, so my other brother wins it in 86 or whenever, Matt wins it one night his junior year. And I remember in a moment that I'm supposed to be very happy for my brother, I just remember an immense amount of pressure that I was going to have to go win this award, uh, you know, six, seven years from now, um, which seems really, really messed up that somehow I thought in that moment, I couldn't even enjoy it for them. I just thought, how can I get myself to a place to win that award? I did not win the award. I did not play football in high school uh, past my freshman year. I'm, I feel like I'm a third of their size um, and just was always afraid to get hurt. And so I basically took a different path, uh, thankfully. But um, that I think that pressure is what a lot of life feels like. Um, always uh, going to be measured by whatever I can produce. Welcome to Story Shaped Life a podcast where we try to help make sense of the stories we believe about ourselves, others, and the world we live in. We're your hosts, I'm Sam. And Ben. This season, we're focusing on the Enneagram, 
a popular tool for understanding the way we view the world and the strategies we use to interact with it. Join us today as we talk about Enneagram Type 3. All right, so welcome to A Story Shaped Life. Today we are talking with and about Enneagram Type 3s. And I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves and share three things, just three rant. They can be very random. You're both already grimacing. Uh, <laughs> it's not a. We, we just need lead time. There's a sound smart. <laughs> you didn't give me a script. There's I don't no, know how to perform there's for no, you. Right? There's Off no the wrong. Is a, there's no right. Tough to be and impressive. there's no wrong. And there's nothing. Yes. Any three things about you will is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> okay. I'll trust you. Go for it. Okay, so my name is Nicole Hendley. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, three things about me. First thing, I'm married to Cameron, and he's my best friend, and we have a very fun life together. Uh, he's a five on the Enneagram, and, and we are currently renovating a house, so that's the adventure we're in. Second thing, I'm a musician, so I'm very grateful to have music as an outlet. Uh, I love writing songs. Third thing, I'm uh, interested in photography, and that's been kind of a new, fun hobby. As a three, I try to do things that I know I'm not going to be great at. It's a spiritual practice. So learning that right now, yeah. Uh, This will be fun. Um, I am Mike Trozo. I work at Tide University Laundry, Um, and I am originally from Houston. Uh, I live in Dallas now. Um, I like photography a lot and have recently uh, tried to learn how to play the piano. So (laughs) an exact opposite of your story. Um, I also uh, really enjoy dogs and candy. Um, I think uh, more than the average person. Um, It's a, it's a high, high, it's very, very high up on my list. Dogs and candy, not together, uh, separate, Mm -hmm. uh, separate, of course. How many things was that? Two? Three. I think that was three. Okay. I think yeah, you can it. count candy. Yeah. As yeah, yeah, a separate yeah. Candy, <laughs> yeah, dog. Because they're two separate experiences. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. All right. So type threes are the active belonging seekers. But um, let's start with the social strategy of being active. Another word that we use that's helpful is the word compelling. Um, it's this idea that I will kind of make my own opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um when we talk about like the story kind of questions and go through those, uh, we talk about the person who comes in a room and is like, I'm going to make my opportunities in this social gathering. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need people to talk to me. I will talk to them first. I'm going to make an opportunity wherever I can do that. So um, that's kind of what what we talk about when we say active. active. So our first question, where have you seen or how have you seen that strategy play out for you guys in like one-on-one relationships? Like how do you see that that kind of active social strategy in your own experiences, in your own life? Uh, I would say it's a skill to be comfortable in any room, right? Like I'm proud of that about myself. Whatever it is that uh, makes me feel comfortable in a room of people, um, just walking in. And I, I've never, uh, I don't know if I've ever really thought about uh, a certain skill to be comfortable in any room um, as connected to uh, a fear of being worthless if I don't produce. Like, right, that's when I sum up my threeness, that's usually what happens there. I don't know if I've connected these two things uh, until right now because I'm just thinking about it. Like, if you said mushrooms are also connected, 
I would just be now thinking about it for the first time. Uh, type three vegetable is <laughs> mushrooms. Yes, yes mushrooms. <laughs> um, so I mushrooms think, a vegetable. Sorry, I keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, but I do think, um, if you were to push me on it, whatever it is, there are successful engagements with people. Uh, you could have ten different types of arrangements. You could get coffee with somebody. Uh, you could get lunch with somebody. You could get dinner with somebody. You could study with somebody. You could have a meeting with somebody. That was five. I won't go six through 10. You can all imagine what they're like. For some reason, at some point, un, unlearned in my own mind, which I'm sure I learned this, uh, sitting in silence was negative. Positive was an engaging conversation that discovered something about each other to each other. Uh, that is what motivates a lot of me feeling comfortable in a room. And so in the same vein, sitting in silence with, a, with one person, it, it takes me rewiring myself that it's okay. Uh, the, the alone time and the, like the sitting in silence with somebody is a very intimate moment. It also means that it's a very safe relationship. It doesn't need a lot of external pressure. It doesn't need a lot of conversation. Uh, we can just be happy together. That's difficult for me uh, because sitting in silence means, uh-oh, I've bored this person. And I have nothing to ask or nothing to say right now. And so I will ask questions, and my friends would probably recognize this. I will ask things and talk about things that I could either Google uh, or that I might know the answer to uh, solely because I have a goal of conversation in a dead room. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. So prior to 2016, before I learned about the Enneagram, I would pride myself on being able to connect to anyone. And unfortunately, though, I lived with such intense pressure and anxiety and found my only worth in my ability to connect to people, I would so often merge in a way that I would totally lose who I am. And I had little idea of who I was as, a, as Nicole. And so, but I knew I could be anybody's best friend. But that got really dicey when all of a sudden I have... 15 people that would call me their best friend and I am 15 different people with each one of them. You know, I, I uh, could perform in these relationships very well, but it was so exhausting. And um, I probably would have gone on like that for a long time until I had a mental breakdown because it's just not sustainable. And I found myself disappointing people a lot because the busier I got in adult life, we weren't in college anymore, it was really hard to keep up the performing. And people would move away, and it was like, I, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know that I can keep doing this. Then I encounter the Enneagram and finally give myself permission to recognize my limitations and that I'm getting very little out of those encounters. And so in my journey to become a healthier Nicole, I have found, you know, this is Enneagram speak, but threes go towards six in strength, and that's, in, at my best, I'm so communal, and it's less about Nicole performing, and it's more about I can connect to anyone. Yeah. I can sit down with anybody and pretty quickly know their strengths, hear their insecurities, and help them get to a place of meaning and healing and encouragement. And I can do that with a pure heart knowing I don't need this connection to make me feel worthy. I've done that work on my own in solitude. I mean, that was a huge piece of my growth was 
learning how to sit with myself in silence. So I could sit with other people in silence mm. and I could let grief be present with us and I could let heavy things be present. I didn't have to talk my way out of those moments for fear that I'm not performing well, mm. you know, because that's not, that has no place in those moments and real meaningful connection, that ego voice in my head that's like, wow, them is so distasteful. It's so gross to me now. Um, so it's been really neat. And I'm, I'm far from where I want to be on this journey, but it has been neat to look around my circles recently and think I am authentically myself in my closest friendships. And uh, that's new. That's really new. So, but that's been because I had to figure out how to allow pain and space and boundaries to be present mm. yeah. in those relationships. I think you both kind of referenced the, the concept or idea of like masks and being being a different person to, for different people. But taking that a step further, uh, this social strategy of being active, uh, what are some ways and probably more specific examples of ways that that social strategy didn't really work out how you wanted it to? I think I want to address the masks comment. Uh-oh. Just because I don't know if we're even aware in the moment that that we're putting on something. Yeah. I think that's the the thing that's detrimental in all of this is that it feels like I'm being myself. Um it feels like I am loving this person as as well as I know how. Mm. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm gonna go be uh, I'm going to be cuss a lot, Mike, because this guy likes to cuss a lot. It's not, it doesn't even feel yeah. that way. It just feels like a part of me resonates with that type of person or this type of person. So uh, I'm going to pull that person, that uh, little bit of who that is, I'm going to pull more of that out in this moment. Uh, and I think, I mean, the detriment that I heard you talk about and that I definitely feel is that when you say, uh, well, what do you like or what do you really want uh i have no idea yeah no that, i I'm, think that's a great distinction I, an image that just came to my mind and you can speak to whether or not you think this is accurate this is kind of far out there but i think in metaphors but uh i was imagining kind of when you're mixing a song and you have all the instruments and it's not necessarily that you're adding different instruments you're just like turning up the volume on some and bringing the others down and so you're not completely changing face. You're just bringing some parts of you and pushing down others for different people. Does that it, make sense? That's exactly what That it, makes perfect yeah. sense. And I think that at some point, um, you think you're a horns guy. And then, yeah. nope, I'm a percussion guy. Like, well, what are you most comfortable with? And, and that's the part where you just don't know. Mm. Yeah. I've never really asked that question. Because it's, it's always a response in a way. Mm. I think... Uh, that active piece when it's been detrimental is when I have seen everything as something to be won, but I, or a ladder to be climbed. And I found myself at the top of a ladder and thought, when the hell did I get on this ladder? Did I even want to be on this ladder? This ladder sucks. Like, but I'm at the top. So crap. Like what, what do I do? I have had so many moments like that in the last 10 years. And I, okay, so I'm a three and I can frame all of my failures as success. So here, and I am not going to apologize for it in this moment. It's who I am. And it's funny. But I'm like, it, I've really chalked it up to like, all right, I've been in my 20s. This is part of the learning process. But 
in the last few years, like every two years, I'll find myself at the top and I'm looking down like, all right, this is completely unfulfilling. Like, uh, so I've had all of these career changes. And I think the biggest one for me, that the one that sticks out the most is when I was in college, I was picked out to be the next great youth minister in evangelical world and you're, you're female, so that's cool and progressive. And I was like, yeah, edgy, neat. I can perform well in this space, totally. Never once, never did I ask myself, do I think I want this? It was always like, this is probably a good thing. And I'm a, I'm a self-preserving three. I'm a, I want to be a good role model. I want to be somebody that inspires. So I'm like, yeah, inspiring teenagers, cool. That sounds great. Um, and it's a humbling thing to admit. I'm not sure that I slowed down enough to ask myself. I'm not proud of that, but it is what it is. Desperate for approval, you know. So found myself at different churches and, and what got real dicey was realizing I have used my social strategy to connect, 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 go, 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 move cities, start these new jobs, rub shoulders with people in the evangelical world, kind of setting the course for myself and, and what was even gross, more gross in that when I finally stopped and recognized what was happening, I thought, this is not only going to impact me to acknowledge I'm not happy, this is going to impact teenagers and their families. And I can't let this happen again. Like I cannot allow myself to use my very natural, influential personality to get me somewhere, to get people to follow me somewhere that I'm not sure I need to be. Um, and I, I still have great relationships with so many people at the churches I served at. So, so many people would, would hear this and wrap me up in a hug. I, I think that, that we're okay. But it's, it was a hard lesson mm. to learn for me. So that was definitely a time when the active piece was tricky. Yeah, the the way that we talk about this is is um, kind of in general, everybody having their narrative. Out of that narrative, you develop a worldview, and then out of that worldview, um, again, a lens through which you're looking at the world. Out of that, you develop a script. Uh, uh, basically, a here are my here's the best way to act into this world that I think is this story that's going on around me, and that everybody has everybody's story kind of core narrative is accurate to some degree and inaccurate to some degree. And what I'm hearing a lot from you guys is this sense of like the, the social strategy, um, the, the kind of core part of that script is uh, very much focused on, on action, right? What can you do? You keep using the word perform, but this idea of like, what can I, how, how, what's my way forward? What's my way to act my way into what I need or what somebody else needs or whatever else, which I think is, Interesting compared to what you said about um, the idea of silence um, or being being yourself, and that again, the idea that the other side of of doing is being right of is existing sans action, right? That we could sit here in this room for the next ten minutes in silence, and you're still existing fully as a human being. Nobody hates you. Nobody, right? Nobody. We don't think any less of you, and that that there's something along the way that's kind of turned into this strategy that like this very, very focused around doing. I think that's really unique for threes in particular in the way that your active social strategy works out. It's very, 
Um, I mean, I know the word performance is used a lot in the Enneagram when it comes to threes, but, but just I just like that idea of of doing, of everything. It's like, like you were saying, it's like, so when we're sitting here having a, a conversation, what am I what am I doing to make this a uh, a positive experience? Anyway, I think that was great. I think there's that was really really helpful, at least for me. Yeah, I also want to make this distinction. One of the misconceptions that threes kind of fall under, that even in in our conversation right now is kind of disproven, is the performance is always for one's own self. Oh yeah, and yeah. There's kind of like a threes would sell their own grandmother to get ahead. Yeah, and yeah. but what you guys are saying is like no 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 no. It's actually for you. That I am like in many ways doing these things. Well, that that makes it sound a lot better too. Um, it is mixed. Sure, yeah. we're not. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, may yeah. not be clear. It's not altruistic, um, but it it's not self centered either. No, and I and I think um, maybe this is where the belonging comes in. Um, I don't want to be successful by myself. Like, yeah. just that's just who I am. Um, I want my team to be successful. I want to share things. Um, you know, like uh, golf would have been a tough sport to be a champion in. I would much rather be a champion in a team sport where we could all look back and have a shared experience. And so I don't know if those things are related, um, but that's what, it, that's what it feels like to me. I listened to a podcast about threes one time and it said something like this three was saying it was life changing when somebody said it's okay to just be another bozo on the bus. And I heard that and I like started crying because I thought my whole life I've just been pushed into places of leadership. And, and truly, because I enjoy motivating people, but that had turned into, now, Nicole, you can lead this thing rather than now, Nicole, you get to motivate this team. It was always, let's put you in charge. And uh, so it's like as much as I wanted, like what you're saying, to be part of the team over and over, adults in my life, especially growing up, pick me out of the group on purpose, mm-hmm. hand me the trophy, hand me the leadership and say, now have fun. It was like, well, now nobody wants to hang out with me because I'm their boss or I'm their group leader or mm-hmm. I'm the, you know, I have to perform now for you group of adults and you've totally cut my legs out from under me from being just another bozo on the bus for a minute. So I didn't get to develop what I really wanted because I was always put, you know, in charge, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think to what you're saying, Mike, the... Um, again, the other kind of core element that we talk about or use in the Enneagram is this core awareness, which turns into a core motivation. I think, and for threes, that is um, belonging. That's this sense of just a, a, a deep awareness of the story of us that we are, that you are helping create. So it's not that you uh, don't have your own story or a universal story. Those are everybody has those, but you're just kind of have this core awareness of that. And I think that's where that piece comes in where you're you're like, no, but I don't want to just succeed alone because I see how my actions are always affecting the story of us, right? Um, and I think what you uh, said, Nicole, leads us up for our next question really well. You talked about how how people have put you in positions of, of um, kind of leadership and, and authority, whether you wanted them or not, um, whether part of that you enjoyed or not. Uh, what experiences or what um, expectations have you seen culture put on you as an Enneagram type three? Ugh, as a as a female three, be desirable. And physically speaking, uh, as a friend, as a companion, as a possible companion, as a daughter, just be the desired fill in the blank. So 
that's difficult. And I'll I'll point back to, especially in evangelical world, when it's like, you know, oh golly, uh, be the picture of purity in high school and be for, for your youth group and yet be the prettiest girl in the room so all the boys want to date you and be a model wife in evangelical world, which means, you know, whatever. And also be a strong, independent woman and know this and that and want kids, but don't want them too early and work out, but don't be too interested in looking a certain way. And it's like, and I, and I think a lot of people and particularly females could relate to that. But I think as a three, it's, it's poisonous. I mean, it's just, it's a, if you're not aware of that, uh, weakness, this need and ache to be the desirable person in the room. And that can change depending on what room you're in. If you're not aware of that motivation, it can lead you in a lot of different places to a lot of different places. So, um, I would say that that's for me. And I think I'm understanding the question. Um, we're talking about, uh, where, yeah, where does culture feed what I believe about myself in some regard? Um, it feels like, uh, the definition of what successful looks like is ultimately this, uh, rabbit on a racetrack, uh, that I am chasing, even though I know that, uh, it is likely, see, I even say likely, uh, it would not make me fulfilled and happy if I were to ever catch the rabbit. Um, but I'd love to know and tell you about it. Hey, I caught the rabbit. Here's the deal. The rabbit's not so great for me. Um, I can, it's like, it's really difficult to hear that whatever the world defines as success, uh, will not feel like success. And maybe more importantly, uh, will not bring the validation that you think it will bring. You are trying to use what the world defines as the goal, uh, to fill and this is, you know, years of therapy that I've heard, but ultimately like this, whatever this gap is in my heart, soul, life, uh, whatever I do on earth will not fill it. So I can run and I can chase and the world can say, uh, well, it looks like, uh, it looks like fame. Uh, it looks like lake houses. It looks like Italian sports cars. Uh, it looks like X, Y, Z even though I know it will not make me happy, uh, it's like default to try to find out how to get there. Make sense? Absolutely. Do you, do you think, I've never thought about this before, but do you think threes are most aware of cultural expectations? We've asked everybody this question and we will continue to ask everybody this question because I think it's helpful. But uh, do you think threes in particular are, are just very attuned to cultural expectations um and I, I don't want to go into whether they're like more prone to follow them or not that, that i don't think that's fair or even necessary but but just watching for them aware of them pick up on them more than than maybe the rest of us do uh it feels like i i can't again i can't speak for threes because like sure. i said i don't know many but i know for myself i feel like i can articulate it well yeah. it's to the point where it's embarrassing to admit how much of a conversation I could have about what the world says success is mm -hmm. in X, Y, Z. Um, I don't know if, if, if other people think about it as much as I do. I would say 
threes are experts at reading their environment, whether it's an Instagram feed or a magazine or just watching TV. It's like my brain from my earliest memories was scanning the world around me and deciding how to be the best. And obviously how to be successful, how to be seen as the best, the most successful, um, desirable, fill in the blank. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I think that we are painfully aware in a way that is so intrinsically part of our brain chemistry. I, and I don't even know that I've ever thought about it that way, but yeah. And I think, I mean, to the point where I think that what I haven't really thought about until now is that, uh, or at least been able to articulate it, is that the message from culture are often in contradiction. Uh, so as a male, to have everything, uh, let's say like the George Clooney lifestyle uh, versus the, the the man who doesn't need anything, right? And, mm-hmm. and doesn't buy any uh, extra things. Uh, I don't know who that is because they're not famous. Uh, but those two are both... <laughs> Uh, both held up in high regard. One, the the person who is friends and is loved by hundreds of people uh, could also be uh, the lone wolf who doesn't need anybody. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are those are both cultural uh, poles of success. Yeah. Um, and so, even in the journey towards one of these things, it's like who knows. Uh, and so, thankfully, you know, life presents opportunities and closes doors. Uh, so that you can try to figure out who you are in the midst of all of it. Mm. Which is really similar to what you said earlier, the idea that in, in even in, I guess, it, it take a, a, a smaller grouping or kind of a microcosm of American culture, and that's like evangelical Americanism. That's not a term. Christian, Christianity in America. Mm-hmm. Um, we have these, these uh, opposing views of be pretty and nice to look at, but don't be too pretty and right. too nice to look at, right? right? Like it's yeah. just, we have some weird, and I think across the board, it's, I just think it's interesting that you both picked up on that because again, as an, as a non three on the Enneagram or doesn't somebody who doesn't identify as a three, I think it's really easy. If I'm allowed to confess a little bit here, we can take this part out if necessary, but I think it's really easy to see a drive for success as just kind of mind blowing and, and like unnecessary or right. But, and it's just like, why, why, why give, why give so much effort right to this kind of thing. But on the, on the, the opposite side of that is that something that you guys uh, are just very attuned to is the, the reality of the constant pressure that we are unfortunately creating for one another in this thing that we call culture. And I know that we use the word culture as this external thing, but the tr- the reality is every living human being is creating the culture that we live in, right? And if you're an American, you are creating the American culture. So we all are are adding to whatever that is. And I think it's interesting that you both picked up on the dichotomies that we are unfortunately creating, that somehow, I if I'm not actively thinking against it, I am unfortunately adding to a dichotomy that then somebody who identifies as a three on the Enneagram is having to wrestle with, mm-hmm. right? Like I can see you as someone's like, why would you, why would you, why are you chasing that? Leave it alone. It's like, well, but I'm, I'm actually adding to that narrative somehow if I'm not directly like trying to speak truth into mm-hmm. giving you freedom away from that because you're just more aware of it. And in some ways I think that can be a positive too, to just realize like, Hey, we're, we're creating a, a wacko mix of things that does not make sense. We're not actually creating options or opportunities for people here. 
we're we're creating this like wild thing that doesn't that's not how can you be George Clooney and a monk at the same time like what the like that doesn't work how can I be like pretty enough but not like but too pretty like what what are you talking about yeah I think one of really the, the big distinctions because I think for a lot of people listening as we talk through cultural expectations they're like well we all have those cultural expectations and the way I would describe the difference is for me I don't get into that tug of war because I just pick a side. I'm like, well, I'm going to be the best performer. And that's all I am. And that's all I care to be. I don't have to deal with being humble as a performer. But I feel like the the big issue that you are describing is being in this tug of war of like needing to be fully one side and fully the, I need to be the best performer and confident and also the most humble servant friend to everyone. And that's that's the pressure that that you feel culturally as compared to the pressure maybe other types yeah, would feel. Absolutely. And I think we can succeed in doing both, which is what's so dangerous. Like, and it's so energizing, if I'm honest. Like, it's like a drug. I mean, I spent the last, I guess about a year ago, I found myself, I'm a full-time student in divinity school. Uh, and I'm also working full-time at Orange Theory Fitness. And here's the pieces. It's like, I want to be super fit and and super sexy and I just if I'm being totally honest like I want to be I want to be like go to my 10-year reunion and be like holy crap Nicole like looking good and yet I'm act I'm actively trying to be a hospital chaplain like that is my whole life is trying to figure out how do I allow myself the space because honestly that's it's fun and I am I really don't feel guilt about it because it's not causing harm. Like I'm very aware that it is energizing and I have to be careful with it. But it's like huh, learning how to allow myself to be Nicole, which is the person who likes to spin the plates. Like it is the most fun thing I can do in my life is to be a kick-ass pastoral care provider and lift super heavy and run super fast and like hang with my fitness pals. So, and everything in between. Um, and I think that's kind of the gift that threes give the world is it literally believing anything is possible if you want to work hard and not take it too seriously. And, and it can be play. I mean, the opposite I'm experiencing in this season of life is like the pressure is there, yes, but it's nothing like it used to be. And it's kind of been replaced with this playful, I could fail, but I could also have fun with this in this space. Plus one on that. Yeah, whatever whatever this season of life is, and I had uh, like a really bad couple of years um, that that sort of felt like oh, uh, I mean I went through a divorce, and I feel like oh, guess what? I can no longer pretend my life is perfect. Well, now what? And so now that I know that it's not going to be perfect, now that I know it's not going to be uh, all roses, I feel much more okay with failure. Like I mean, in the end, I think I'm. I am healthier on the other side of something that was, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. So, yeah. Going off a, a statement that you made that was uh, uh, your gift that you bring to the world, uh, one of the conversations we've been having is trying to put into words um, what each type brings to the world. And uh, one way we've done that is talking about universal problems and which problems each type tends to go against. Uh, and what they bring to the table. So, for example, for twos, uh, the phrase we came up with was empowerment to insecurity. 
So insecurity was the the problem, the universal problem. And, and that's not to say other types don't handle that problem. It's just twos are just all about insecure. Like we're gonna we're gonna go for this one. And the the weapon of choice is empowerment. So is there any universal problem you could think of that that's kind of a priority for your type? And what weapon would you bring to the table? I mean, like my my only like my first thought would be something about some level of energy and i don't i don't know exactly what the problem is like if it's energy to stasis or energy to stillness not that stillness is all bad i know i said that earlier but mm-hmm. there is like a can do and a let's go uh and we can all of that mm. uh feels like the good parts of us yeah uh, does that make sense yeah. so um yes it can it can be um it can all everything we ever do can have weird motivations and gray motivations. It's like the world is not as black and white as we want. And so we're going to talk about things in black and white terms to try to bring color. And I realize the irony in that. You use the word possibility yeah, uh, earlier, which I think conjures the idea of energy. Certainly. Uh, because energy has to be applied. And so there's this like, so where are you going to put it? What's the possibility? Like, what does this create? What do you think is the great counter if we run with that word? Fear comes to mind. I mean, mm. I don't spend a lot of time afraid. I have, I can be very insecure, but that feels more centered upon shame than fear. I'm not afraid of much. Um, so, you know, people don't move or go, you know, I've coached people through career changes and things like that, big decisions, and they're stuck in their fear mm. of what could happen. Um, their fear of failure, their fear of not being enough. And I think, I don't know if fear is the word we should land on, but I feel like that's that's a problem I've helped people through, is working through their fear Yeah. with possibility and motivation. What do you think of the word uncertainty? Now, we're, like they're all, these words are all going to have trouble because they're all going to start stepping on each other, but that's fine. Yeah, so one of the things I keep thinking about is, I, I I want it to include the phrase or the idea that you're capable of more. So like, because it's not that you're lacking. We're just saying we can shoot even farther. Like we can take, and uncertainty to me doesn't communicate that as much, but I'm, I'm not really sure what word to land on either. I like fear because of what it communicates. I'm pretty at peace with uncertainty. I would not talk people out of their uncertainty. If, uncertainty with you know questions regarding faith or outcomes there is a there is a purpose for uncertainty i think in the process of going somewhere and being so i like uncertainty so i wouldn't i wouldn't want to label that an issue like what if um if you said hey mike what would you want your superpower to be out of all this this is ironic too because of the way we talk about not knowing ourselves and uh being alone is tough uh if somehow I could communicate to people that you are not alone yeah, yeah, and that yeah. uh, somebody can connect with you, oh, yeah, that to me is a superpower. Uh, it is weird because we struggle to find it, yeah, uh, but we can provide it. Yeah. So I don't know what that is, but uh, that's what I would want to believe about myself, is that uh, for me to sit with you uh, and for you to feel listened to, cared for, and not alone in the world um, would be great. I, I would say sitting with a person, my superpower is seeing 
them so clearly and being able to call out of them what is magical about who they are and inspire them to be that. And it's already there. It's already in them. So because I think that can look a lot of different ways. It goes, it's, it's saying Swiss Army Knife, for every person we're going to be tackling something different. But I think threes can cut through the bullshit really quickly because we read it, we just know. We know and can cut through it and get to the quick and get things done. Um, with that, we can see past people's defenses and uh you know, we can see a mask pretty quickly too. So I'm thinking Let's about say threes cut through bullshit and yeah. We'll yeah. <laughs> threes can call bullshit really, really well. But can also bullshit very because well. Because we're master bullshitters. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. If you are listening right now and you are a type three, we'd love to hear yes, if you have any words <laughs> that you would like to add to our conversation. And we'll just go from there. Uh I think one of the traps that's easy to fall into is just not finding the perfect word. And we're trying to sum up type threes, which have an uh, enormous amount of abilities and qualities that you bring to the world. And we're trying to sum that up into two words. So right, it's, it's totally. not always going to fit in as yeah. poetically as we'd, we'd like, would like it to. The five in me is like, this is confusing and I want to bring clarity mm-hmm. to it. I know, but this is why the it's world needs fours. Yeah. Me insane. <laughs> I'm like, the emotions in this we just need to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but moving forward. Um, Last question. What? Let's start with this question. What advice would you have for other type threes that are listening right now? I think I would, it's just quick. And I. it's a piece of wisdom that I keep in my back pocket check in with yourself often and decide could I sit alone doing nothing today and be okay with who I am and most days if I'm honest that thought gives me just it makes my stomach turn over because my natural rhythm is do 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 show people you're worth it so they'll love you But I would say what's been so beautiful in life, especially recently, is knowing I can slow down, I can be unproductive, and I'm still so loved and surrounded and supported. And people love me for the right reasons, and I love myself for the right reasons. But I I test myself often because I can buy into my own bullshit sometimes and think, think I'm in a healthy place but the test is sit in silence for five minutes and if you want to crawl out of your skin because you're just so fed up with yourself you need to do some work you need to talk to somebody that you trust and tell them where you're at and you need to you need to tell them I need to hear from you that you love me because I don't believe anybody does right now and it's motivating me to run like a crazy person toward achievement and I know where that road leads and it's not healthy I have a little google doc that I read every morning in the last couple of months that I've just started collecting. A bunch of them are Enneagram notes uh, that I, when we get emails from the Institute and they're absolutely uh, hammers. So I'll, I'll just read some of them. Slow down. It's okay. People love you. You can be resilient. Try to prioritize what is important. 
Failure is okay, and it's not permanent. You are not the best at everything, and that's okay. Don't avoid trying because you are afraid. Ask for help. The rest of these are very personal. I'm skipping them. Yeah, so that's it. Um, I would say, yeah, to slow down, and it's okay. Uh, I hope that's all true, because I'm obviously still trying to believe it myself. Even when I say it, I'm like, oof. And on the flip side, what advice would you give to people who are not Enneagram type 3, but are in a close relationship or friends with or trying to understand, not understand, but trying to interact with type 3s better? Yeah, what can we do for you? So I know we've talked a lot about our weaknesses and possible blind spots, but I want to say again, something that I love about myself is my ability to go out with friends and have a wildly fun Saturday night and direct a choir on Sunday morning and have, you know, kids Bible class the next hour and 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 to do all of that as authentically Nicole, taking care of myself. I have several groups of friends who in the same room might not get along. That's okay. I want the world to trust threes to not necessarily see us and our ability to work different rooms as something as that might be a red flag. Mm. To say that we can't be trusted because we can hang out with so many different types of people. I I consider myself a very trustworthy person and I, I would hope that people would not take threes at face value and think they're just money-motivated, shallow, image-oriented people. That's that's so cheap and it's it's not like any three I've ever met personally. Yeah. We are deep and want such wonderful things for the people around us and those people are going to be very different and that's what gives our life variety and makes our life so beautiful. Yeah, that's good. It's very good. Um I would say uh we mean well and just to echo that uh I think we are aware that some of the things we chase uh, we know are not the best flags. Uh, we're navigating that. Uh, flags, like a checkered flag, finish lines um, on their own. I think we mean well. I think that in general, uh, at least I feel like from what I know of Nicole and myself, we are trying to figure it out and we want what's best, what we think is best for everybody. Awareness brings empathy and empathy helps us interact better. Thank you so much for sharing, for working through all of that, even live. <laughs> uh, yeah, and next week we will be talking with Enneagram Type 4s. Thanks again, guys. We will talk to you guys later. It's been great. Has it? Do you want an award? Hand me my trophy. <laughs>